Welcome to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. Now here's our mama. Hey y'all, welcome back to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. Today we are live at the beautiful Pixar Animation Studios with Chrissy Kababa and Bobby Rubio of Float. Yay. Hey guys, hey, welcome. Hello. Hey. Hi. Hey, Erin. Hey, thanks for coming and getting cozy with me. Or actually, I'm coming to you to get cozy. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it even cozier because yes. we get to hang back. Right. <laughs> and this is just, you guys, if you've never been here, it's such a magical place. When you walk in, you just feel all of the energy of the previous amazing films that Pixar has put out and the people that have created it. There's so much love in this building. There is. And just warmth and people are so kind here. So I love being in this environment and thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. Oh, thank you for coming. It's yeah, our thank pleasure. Thank you for coming. So we're going to get right into it. I'd like to, on this podcast, kind of dive into childhood because I feel like childhood is so important when you're talking about who you are and mm -hmm. what made you you. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to ask each of you the same question. Oh, okay. And we'll just kind of go from there. Okay. okay. So Chrissy, can you tell me a little bit about growing up and kind of your influences? Sure. Um, I grew up in Southern California in Torrance, which is a suburb of LA. And I was really fortunate to have a large extended loving family around me with, with a lot of different personalities. And so I think early on that helped me figure out how to get along with a lot of different people and to make friends and you know that kind of thing. So that was a real, a real lucky thing. The other lucky thing for me growing up was that my community was very diverse. So the high school and the elementary school that I went to had a lot of Asian Americans, had white kids, had some African-American kids, had lots of Latino kids, and so that I think also helped me to learn how different cultures could get along with each other and the importance of family traditions and different foods. I also grew up pretty active. I played sports when I was little and I took ballet lessons. I played musical instruments and I danced and so I did, you know, a lot of a lot of that kind of thing which I'm really grateful for also. Oh my gosh, that sounds like an idyllic childhood. It was pretty, yeah, I was pretty lucky, you know, yeah. and especially at that point, there wasn't a lot of violence in my schools. We weren't worried about things that I think little kids are worried about now. And so that, to me also, I feel so lucky having grown up in that environment. In California, you're just, you're so close to all the, you know, excitement of Hollywood and, mm -hmm. and that, and that's just kind of a fun way to grow up as well. It was, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a little bit funny, though, because even though I grew up near Hollywood, I never thought that I would be a filmmaker. That's not a career that I thought I would ever pursue. I came into filmmaking kind of by accident. So it's, it's a very fortuitous accident that I'm here at Pixar, but it is kind of interesting because I never thought I would be anywhere near filmmaking, even though I grew up just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Hollywood Hills. When you say by accident, mm -hmm. tell us what that, what, how that happened. Yeah. So uh, I, I came here because a friend of mine, I was between jobs. A friend of mine said, hey, you know, if while you're between jobs and you're looking for something new, Pixar needs a temp person for two weeks to just fill in for this one person who's on vacation. And so I said, sure, I'll take a two-week job. And so I came here, I did this small two-week job, and then at the end of the two weeks, um, someone else from the company contacted me and said, hey, you know, I have someone in my department who's going out on vacation for three weeks. Can you come over here and help me out for three weeks? And so I said, sure. So I went over to that department and helped them out. And that led to another temporary job, which led to another temporary job, which led to another temporary job. 
And here I am, 14 and a half years later. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I love hearing that because, you know, we think every choice we make kind of shapes our future. And thankfully you took that temp job, right? I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it led, to, it led to something really special that I never thought I'd be in. Well, we mm -hmm. are grateful for sure that you did. Yeah, <laughs> and I am very grateful. So Bobby, tell us about your childhood in Paradise Hills. Paradise Hills, yeah. yes. So it's, I'm from Paradise Hills, San Diego, and like Chrissy, it's a very diverse uh, uh, neighborhood. I remember just walking down the block, you would hear different languages. You would hear Spanish, you would hear Tagalog, which is Filipino language, English, of course. And yeah, you could smell the food wafting <laughs> through the, and, and different types of food. But also growing up in San Diego, uh, Paradise Hills, um, formed my career path because uh, there's the San Diego Comic Con. And I used to go there every year as a kid. And I wanted to be a comic book artist, actually, when I first started out. And I, I drew comics for my friends. I remember... Uh, when I was a kid, this is like the 80s, 70, the 80s, and so uh, my, my friends would be like, can you draw like Eddie from Iron Maiden on my book cover for me? Because, you know, and then I would do that, I'd draw E.T., and I'd draw all kinds of stuff just to get money to buy some comic books. So um, I think that environment helped spurn my love of drawing and, and, and doing comics and telling stories. Yeah. If you had grown up in a different area, do you think that it would have been a different story with you? Or do you think where you were kind of fostered that creativity and that love for comic books and, and being a creator? I think that help being in San Diego did help because, like, yeah, every year's the Comic-Con, and it's a big deal. And uh, maybe if I lived in Canada and the big deal was being a hockey player, <laughs> I, I might have been like, you know what, let me try hockey out. Okay. But, but, but you no, know, I had the natural gift too, because I drew as a kid. My father is an artist uh, in high school. He's pretty decent. And my grandfather on my mother's side is an architect. So he had a drafting table and he would show me how to draw up plans for buildings, but I never had interest in that. Like I said, by being in San Diego and, and in comic books being the scene, I think being at that time, like in the 80s, comic books were huge and so were video games and like getting an Atari for the first time and you're just immersed in like all these cool characters and all these cool things. And I think that helped my love for art and, and creating. Christy told us how she became a producer or kind of how she fell into producing. How did you become the creator that you are today at Pixar? What led to that? This is the story of how I got to Pixar. I was actually working prior to here. I was at uh, Avatar The Last Airbender on, at Nickelodeon. Every year I go to the Comic-Con. Later on in my years, I actually had my own comic books. Uh, my own comic book series, Alcatraz High and Four Gun Conclusion. And I've been going to the Comic-Con to sh uh, sell my wares and my ideas. And after the, one of the Comic-Con days, I remember I was at a bar across the street. And Scott Morse, one of the story artists here, came up to me. He was like, hey, Bobby, what are you up to? And I'm like, just selling comics just like you, man. And, and he was like, um, 
are you interested in possibly going for uh, Pixar? Because we're looking for story artists right now. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I definitely would love to do that. Funny thing is, I tried, and the first time, it was for Ratatouille, and the first time I did not get in. <laughs> and so, so for all the listeners out there, try, try again, because it <laughs> yeah. doesn't always happen the first time around. I got in on, um, my first movie was Up, so yeah. Um, but that's how I got here to Pixar. Up is like such an iconic film. I mean, to be a part of all of that is just incredible. So you did attend a college for? For animation. Animation. So tell us a, a little bit about that. Well, originally I wanted to be a comic book artist. And the only comic book college that I knew of was in New York. And it was called the Joe Kubert School of Art. And I told this to my mother, and she was like, no way are you going to New York. You are staying in California. So I found out there was a school that was created by Walt Disney, and it's called the California Institute of the Arts. And they had an animation program. So I went there because my mother wouldn't let me go <laughs> to New York. But I'm grateful that I did because uh, I've met so many wonderful people and so many, there's a lot of professors there that work in the industry and, and then later on you then work with them. And then a lot of people here are from CalArts alumni. So the joke is there's the CalArts mafia. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so that doesn't exist, by the way. It doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> the first rule is not to talk about it. <laughs> right. So you met Scott at the bar after you attended. After I attended Comic-Con, yes. Yes. And, Scott's and also went, from CalArts, by the way. And went to CalArts. It means no, there's no connection <laughs> no, at all. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Um, that's amazing. So let's talk about Float and how okay. that came to be. So how did you guys start working together? So Chrissy, mm -hmm. did mm -hmm. you reach out to Bobby? Did he reach out to you? No, we were actually paired together by Lindsay Collins, who is uh, the executive producer of Float. She was heading up the Spark Shorts division at that time, and Bobby had already come to Lindsay with an idea, and he can tell you more about that. But she was looking for a producer to come on with Bobby to help him get Float up on screen, and luckily for me, that I had expressed my interest in working on these projects to Lindsay a while back, and the timing just worked out. So I was finishing up Coco and ready for my next assignment, and Lindsay said, hey, you know, we've got these spark shorts, Bobby Rubio is going to be directing one, would you like to work with Bobby? And because, um, though we hadn't worked together. We never worked together, We had weird. never worked together before that. Wow. So that was, uh, but I jumped at the chance. I was really excited for, for a couple different reasons. One is because I saw Bobby's pitch and I loved his story. I thought it was, you know, so personal and had the potential to be so emotional and so impactful that that just sold me right off the bat. But then the other reason was that Bobby wanted to do this short with Filipino-American characters. I'm part Filipino, and that also was just a huge draw for me. So I couldn't, I couldn't wait to jump in. Oh my gosh, it's like a recipe, a perfect recipe. It know? was, yeah. It was really, um, it was really a great stroke of fortune. It needs to be said that you have worked on such illustrious films as uh, Toy Story 3, Monsters University, Brave, Finding Dory, The Good Dinosaur, and of course Coco, as you mentioned. So you are quite an amazing producer, and I just want 
make sure our listeners oh. knew. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm my... in the presence of greatness oh. right now. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> are, actually. That's very nice of you to say. My, my regular job at Pixar is a couple steps below producer. So this was, this, um... For now. Getting to produce a Spark Shorts uh, was uh, especially exciting for me because it was a chance to spread my wings a little bit and take on a little bit more responsibility, and um, that was really, really special for me. So special how you guys met and how you're able to work on such a beautiful film. So, Bobby, please tell us about how the idea of Float came to you. Did something in your personal life influence it? We'd love to hear all about that. So, Float is. I'll grab the tissues. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this image board of Float up here, and so it reminded me of, like, the beginning. And uh, Float is a story about myself and my son. Uh, my son is on the autism spectrum. Ten years ago, my son Alex is a twin, and he was uh, not meeting the milestones that his brother was, and so we got him diagnosed, and that's when I found out he was autistic, and I didn't handle it well. And my wife said, you can't be like this. What had happened was it, it, it was diagnosed around Christmas time. And I was in my room in the dark. And my brother came to the visit. And he's out playing with my kids. And he's like, Bobby, what's going on? You, why aren't you out here playing with Alex? And I told him what had happened, that we got the diagnosis. And like I was just... If I'm being honest, I, I, I was in a depression. So my wife was like, you got to get out of this. You're a storyteller. Why don't you tell this story through a comic? And so I did. I did this comic book cover. And the comic was called Alex after my son. And I did this cover, and it's actually hanging up here. And, and, you'll, and you know what? You can also see it on the Disney Plus <laughs> extras. On the cover, you can see a father and a son standing in a field of dandelions. And the son is floating. And the quote was, the tagline was, a special child and a father's journey. And I wanted to do the comic. I really did. But emotionally, I wasn't there to do it. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. So I put it aside. Four years ago? It almost feels like it's four years yeah, ago. Four, three or four years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Four years ago, I decided to pick it back up. And, and this time, do it as a storyboard and do it for a short. So I, I did the short, I, I storyboarded it, and then I pitched it to Lindsay Collins, the executive of, of Spark Shorts. And she thought it was a perfect candidate for the, the Spark Shorts program. So then she said, all you, we need now is to get you a, a producer. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm... <laughs> And I was like, and I need somebody to wrangle me in because I got a lot of crazy ideas. <laughs> and so, did you have a lot of crazy ideas, Chrissy? <laughs> no, actually, I would say no. I, mean, yeah, okay. I think uh, I wouldn't call them crazy. I would say ambitious. Um, yes. One of, one of the things about the Spark Shorts program is that Pixar is able to give more filmmakers opportunities because the budgets are smaller. And so, because of that, we had to be really smart about the story we were telling and the visuals in, 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 the, in the short because we couldn't, we didn't have the same amount of resources that 
uh, Pixar would give to a theatrical short like Bow or like Piper. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't say Bobby's ideas were crazy. Right. They were just a little <laughs> ambitious for the for what, for we, what we had. had. We definitely had to work on how to tell the same story, but to try and be more efficient with the storytelling and to try to be really smart about the visuals we were putting on screen. And the short, correct me if I'm wrong, is it around seven minutes long? It's seven minutes with credits. So with if you don't credits. count the oh, okay, if you don't count the credits, it's five and a half minutes. Five and a half. So it's okay. pretty it's, it's short. Pretty economical. It's, yeah. it's lean. Yeah. It that is short lean, is yeah. lean. Yes. Um, we had to cut out stuff that I didn't want to, but can you share a little bit about that? Can we? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're looking like Yeah, yeah. Is that okay? There was a scene. And I don't know if you see an image here, but there was a scene. Okay, the top, second to the that left. We're looking at the storyboard here. Yeah, there was a kitchen scene. You get a little bit more backstory that, that the father is going through this depression. You see him like just moping around, grabbing food and feeding his son. I wanted to show that he, he actually takes care of his son, and he doesn't. It's not like he's a terrible parent. It's just he's not connected to his son and I thought it would be cooler if there was even if there was more time to show that relationship that the father is not really connected and the son is just happy-go-lucky and he's still doing his thing but I also wanted to show in that se same sequence that Alex is not perfect as well because we were getting several notes in the beginning that that Alex was kind of really a perfect child and, um, and it didn't feel realistic. It didn't feel realistic. So we, the good thing is we added in the short, the first time you actually see Alex, he's kind of scribbling on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And so that helps make him feel like more like a real boy versus like a, because oh, yeah. originally he was just playing around and being this, we, people were calling him an angel, like yeah, a cherub. Yeah. Perfect oh. little angel. And so... Now it's cool because we added little things like him scribbling on the wall, him fighting his dad. He doesn't want to put on the jacket. Yep. <laughs> him, Very him, relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And him like hating the jacket. Like things like that made Alex more real, like a real kid. Yeah, so the kitchen scene was one of the things that unfortunately we had to cut from the film. Mm -hmm. And then even um, earlier than that, Bobby's original pitch had a lot of a lot of effects in it. That's true. It was raining at the climax of the short. Um, you had dad sinking into the ground. And so those were things that, that early on Bobby found out, okay, that's going to be really costly. Right. You know, is there a way to tell the story without those elements? Yeah. The story is based off of me going also through the depression. It's kind of there in the short. You could kind of see it. But the original pitch, the father was sinking into the ground. And I remember I showed it to Chrissy, I showed it to David Lolly, our, our production lead, and he's like, well, there's no way, Bobby, that's super expensive. It's raining, the father is sinking into the ground, so you have to deal with like effects of the rocks moving around him and like effects of him actually sinking and him going through. But the cool thing was, story-wise, it didn't work because when I was pitching it to friends and colleagues, they were like, so does dad have powers too? Is he also special? And I was like, no, that's not the story I want to tell. Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feedback. Yeah, it was great. This is the best feedback ever. We took that out. So only Alex is the one that has powers because that's what I'm trying to say. This is a normal, everyday guy and this extraordinary situation where he has this 
this kid with powers. So listeners, when you watch this film, the short film, imagine him making macaroni and cheese <laughs> for his son. Yes, because right. yeah. we wanted to show he does clothe his kids. He does. Yeah. And we, try, we tried to get that point across in other ways. For example, you know, Alex is, he's clean, his hair is cut, he's, you know, he's, his clothes are clean, he's well taken care of, you know, right. he is, he's a healthy, he's a healthy little kid. Right. Dad, on the other hand, does not look so great after yeah. we come back to him, after the initial um, scene of you seeing him floating. You know, Dad, he hasn't shaved in a while, his hair is a little stringy, it's long, he hasn't had a haircut. Yeah. So we did try and show that by the way that the characters are dressed and the way that they... Right. Here on screen. Right. Yeah, I think you absolutely did. And I just want to pick out a couple of um, scenes from the movie to discuss. I like how you showed how the dad character put rocks in the backpack to right. kind of weigh him down, like that you were trying to hide his yes. abilities, right, from the public. Yes. And then when you're at the playground, so let's talk a little bit about the playground, how integral that was. Because, you know, at being an ex-nanny, I was nanny for many years, uh -huh. the playground is such a place of uh, judgment and, <laughs> you know, you're kind of yeah, on display. Is. People are watching your every move. Yes. So did that play into kind of having that be the place where he finally, like, lets his son go and yeah. himself? For a character, you always want them to be in the worst situation in the third act. So I know for myself, I hated... I absolutely hated going to parks with my son because he was different. He spun around and like he didn't really interact with the children. And as you said, there are judgments at the park. And I and I've told this to Chrissy and, and our and our animation team and the whole team actually, of how I want the behavior of the people at the park to be like. I, I got like four different types. One uh, actually genuinely be concerned about my son and me and and actually were nice. The second was people that were condescending. Oh, you have an autistic child. That must be really tough. Wow. And I'm like, <laughs> that is, and um, the third is just like, they don't really care and they're, they're fine with Alex, but they're, they don't, it's kind of neutral. And the fourth is uh, just anger. Like, how do you have the audacity to bring your kid here? I'm enjoying my day with my son, and you're ruining my day. And so I've gotten those four types. And, you know, I'm grateful at least that it all balances, you know. And we try to show that in the park as well. If you go through and watch the movie. Oh, you absolutely did. Yeah, it's not, not everyone's like, oh, why is this kid <laughs> yeah. here? There, there's definitely some sympathetic people in there as well. Well, I'm so glad that that's where you chose to have that final scene. And of course, we have to talk about that pivotal moment where the care, you know, the dad character says to the son, "Why can't you just be normal?" And I think every parent watching just gets that gut feeling, like, "Oh my God, I've said that to my child," and uh -huh. you know that shame and that like that guilt that we feel when we right. even think it if we don't even say it out loud you know but we can mm -hmm. all relate to that and I'm just so glad that was the only line in yeah, the entire line. film so it made it so incredibly powerful so mm -hmm. thank you for was uh, that your idea to have that yes it was in the definitely in the very beginning that yeah. that line was going to be the one that we would just showcase 
we were actually thinking of not having that line and it would have just have been a grunt mm -hmm. but it didn't have the same effect yeah and we also tried it the other way we tried we tried putting in some pieces of dialogue from other people but it, it didn't have the punch you know when exactly. we when we tried that so yeah. it, it seemed to work out the best the way we the way we finally did it yeah it really pulled on your heartstrings and yeah. yeah such a perfect it's funny like that you say that that um, and I've gotten people who have told me that how brave I am to actually say it because you know we've all thought it at the very least <laughs> and like I am glad that it's a universal thought like it's not just for special needs children it almost seems like every parent has gone through their child being somewhat different in some one way or another and and you're just so frustrated and you really didn't mean to take it out on your kid mm -hmm. you'd catch yourself i i'm supposed to be the parent here but okay let me try to do what's right yeah. but you're human too we're not all perfect yeah I mean, one of the one of the really great things about working on this film with crew of really talented and dedicated people is that a lot of the other people on the crew shared their experiences of being parents and about that moment where they where they had a bad day, their kid was having a bad day, and they they lost it and yelled, and how that how horrible that felt to both them and their kid, and it's all different circumstances. You know, it, you can't really predict when that's going to happen, but it was I think a real bonding moment for all of us to just talk mm -hmm. about those moments where you you know you just get frustrated and something comes out that you're that you really don't mean. And you're trying to, and then you have to like deal with the aftermath of that. Okay, how do I come back from that? How do I talk to my kid about that? How do I, you know, how can I be a better parent tomorrow? Yeah. You know, it's all those moments. Yeah, exactly. We have to learn to give ourselves grace to, you mm -hmm. know, when we say things and think things because we are just human and, you know, we have a lot on our shoulders. I mean, I just have to say, you know, when I told my friends who are parents that I was going to be here and talk to you guys and they've all seen it and they just love it so much, the film. Um, nice. On behalf of everyone, say thank you so much for creating this oh, thank you. story thank you. Yeah, thank that you for has that. It's touched so many families, so many lives. It's given them a resource to communicate with their child and to maybe teach siblings, you know, and, mm -hmm. and just children in general how to be more um, accepting. Yes. And that's one thing I want to talk to you about, Bobby. How did you finally come to accepting your son for who he is because it's obvious that in the yeah. film you know you you showed that and it was in such a beautiful way it took years though it didn't take five minutes <laughs> <laughs> i did go through therapy so i want people to know that if you are not in a good place it's okay to get help i went through therapy and also i came to accept my son because i love him and that's all there is to it alex is alex and I just accepted him for himself. And I don't know what the future holds. None of us do. And then somebody told me that, Bobby, none of us do. So, so why are you stressing out? Alex is gonna be himself. Just love your child for who he is. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any advice for parents who are struggling with this through? Do you have any advice besides get help if you're in a depression or yes. feel alone? Don't hold yourself up in a dark, a dark home. Definitely. Try not to bottle it up. Try to at least confide in somebody. Or at the very least, I've heard somebody say, like, at least just jot it down. Jot it down and on a piece of paper. And then it makes it outside of you at the very least. 
But I made this short because I always hope I wanted the world to know that they're not alone. So you can reach out. Maybe, hopefully, with the short, you can say, did you see this short float? Hey, I'm kind of going through that. I mean, hopefully that's a bridging point. <laughs> I am a entertainment reality-based podcast, so I have to okay. ask both of you. Okay. Do you have a favorite reality TV show? Oh. oh. Um, I have, <laughs> there are two that I watch. I love, my absolute favorite is So You Think You Can Dance. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's my favorite because I, you know, I danced as a child. I, I love seeing talented young people and seeing people get their opportunities. So that is my absolute favorite. But I also love Top Chef. Oh, yeah. Top Chef. And are you, cook yourself? I wouldn't say I'm a good cook. I grew up, my mom was a great cook, and I do like to cook, but I don't cook often enough, I would say. Okay. What about you, Bobby? Uh, what comes to mind is, uh, is it, do you think you could dance? Is that so how, you so, you you, dance. so you think you could dance? Yeah. Oh, so you both have the same, like, Because I pleasure. can't dance. I mean, <laughs> uh, um, I didn't know you did ballet. That's crazy. I did, yeah, when I was a kid. Like, I can't. And I feel like every Filipino can. I feel when I was a kid, or like I feel like when God was handing out gifts, he was like, you could either take <laughs> dancing or drawing. Or drawing. And, and my little baby hand went to the drawing. Because <laughs> I cannot dance. I can't dance. And when I see it, 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 it amazes me. That's magic to me. It is magic. <laughs> I, still, I think it's magic, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People can do with their bodies. I think it's and, magic. And what, we, and what we see you guys doing is magic to us. So it's, just, it's uh, such perspective, you. you know? Thank so you. I was just curious to see if you guys were reality TV fans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That and the, um, what's the one with Simon? And then, oh, American uh, Idol? Or the, uh, the new one. America's Got Talent? America's Got Talent. Right. That one's cool, too, because I like seeing people who work hard and actually get a shot. That's the American dream, right? Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay, so I just have to thank you guys so much for letting me come here and share these moments with you. They're just absolutely priceless. Oh, thank you, Erin. Being here is such an honor. Thanks for coming, Erin. It's been great oh my conversation. Gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you guys, seriously, for your time. And just keep doing what you're doing because you're changing lives, and it's just amazing. So please don't stop. Oh, <laughs> we'll, we'll try. Yeah. Well, thank you both for getting cozy with me, and we'll see you next time. Okay. Take yes. care. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Chrissy and Bobby. We had so much fun here in Pixar. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, please follow me at Gettin' Cozy Pod. That's G-E-T-T-I-N-C-O-Z-Y-P-O-D on Instagram for more fun interviews in the entertainment and reality worlds. Until next time, stay cozy. Stay cozy.